The Calling of the First Disciples. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Replant and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, the Washington Post decided to perform an experiment. And part of the experiment was a man named Joshua Bell. Uh, many of you know that name uh, because he's probably the most famous violinist in the world at this point. But also what you may not know is that Joshua Bell was raised right here in Bloomington. Uh, went to Bloomington North High School and later to IU Jacobs School of Music. They decided the experiment would look like this. Uh, Joshua was instructed by them to stand at the intersection of a very busy subway system in New York City, down under, not up on the top, but actually in the subway. He was positioned there in jeans and a regular shirt, t-shirt, and a ball cap pulled down over his head, his eyes, and he was instructed to play his violin. By the way, he's the most famous violinist in the world, and the violin he was using was $3.5 million dollars. If you went to see Joshua Bell right now, it would probably cost you $150 to $200 just to see him in concert. He played that violin with all the intensity that he has. If you've ever seen him, you understand what that is. 1,097 people walked past him, and only eight of them stopped to listen or acknowledge him playing the violin. They had staff members around the corner. And when people passed through, they stopped them and they said, why didn't you stop and listen to Joshua Bell? You know what the response was almost every time? We never even noticed he was there. We didn't hear anything. Really? The most incredible, famous violinist in the world? And you didn't hear him? By the way, when I think of this story right here with fishermen, yeah, different era. But I often wonder, if I was fishing, would I even have heard Jesus when he called? Or would I have been too busy at my task? The story breaks down into three parts, very easily. And I want to give you the three parts. First, the call and response in this story is immediate. Well, as a matter of fact, that's the way the Gospel of John is. Everything, excuse me, the Gospel of Mark. Everything in the Gospel of Mark is immediate. That's the way it's presented. He hardly presents any of the teachings of Jesus the way the other Gospels do. He just said, Jesus said this and did this, and he moves on to the next thing. It's the nature of the Gospel of Mark. I mean, consider this. In Mark's Gospel, this is how he rolls. To a demon, Jesus says, be quiet and come out. And the demon came out. To the winds, he says, quiet, be still. No commentary. They were still. 
to ears that were deaf. On a man, he says, be opened. And they were opened. To a little girl whose parents were mourning her death, he looked at the dead child and he said, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she awakened from the dead. That's the way John reports every, uh, the way Mark reports everything in his gospel. Jesus just says it immediately and it happens. So it seems consistent with, John, with Mark's gospel that he would describe this incident of a calling as just immediate. Sometimes, you know, when we look at the gospels, we are tempted, it's not a bad thing, to use other gospels to fill in the gaps, right? We say concerning the gospel of Mark. Well, if you take a look at Matthew and John and Luke, you'll get a background story on what was going on before and after, and you'll understand why they responded to Jesus so immediately, and maybe, here's what I want to suggest. Stop. Don't do that. Don't open your Bible and start looking for other call narratives, okay? Just for a moment, stay with Mark. Because Mark gave it to us this way, I think, for a reason. And here's what we understand. In this immediate call, there's really no questions concerning the details of the assignment. They don't ask about it. And Jesus doesn't give it to them. Well, we also notice in this Mark call from Jesus, there's no questions about the direction that he's taking. They don't say, oh, I'll follow you if you tell me, can you just let me know where we're going? Jesus says nothing. There's nothing in this call narrative about the length of the journey. How long is it going to take? Will I have to do this for a month? A year? Three? No questions, no answers. The call was simply immediate. Get up and follow me. And the response was immediate. They dropped their nets and they followed him. Peter and Andrew were brothers. They dropped their nets and followed as the text goes along, you run into two more people, James and John. They not only dropped their nets, they dissed their father. They were working for him, and he had hired servants working for him. It was a family enterprise, and without a word, they just left him right there in the boat and followed Jesus. So the call was immediate. Second, the call was radical. They left everything behind. Everything. They didn't even ask if they could set things straight before they started out on the journey. As a matter of fact, they stand in contrast to other disciples who Jesus said, came to him and said, I want to follow you, but first let me go do this and that and the other. And Jesus said to him, no, you can't go do this, that, the other. I'm calling you now, come or not. He didn't have that conversation with James and John and Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. He just said, come and follow. And the call was radical and they did it. It was complete commitment. You notice it wasn't a part-time option? He didn't say, give me a little bit of your time. I got a part-time job for you without pay. 
follow me. It was absolutely radical. Stop and follow. Furthermore, they didn't ask about the job description or the salary or the benefits or the predictability. And I wonder, really, had he told them how radical it was, would they even have come? If they knew that every single one of them except John was going to die a martyr's death because they answered yes to the call, would they have come? If Peter realized on that day that what it meant to follow Jesus was that he was going to be crucified upside down, would he have come? Probably not. The call was immediate. The call was radical. Third, the call was cursory. What do I mean by that? They basically had no information, my friends. Not the way this gospel is written. Not the way Mark says it. They had no information. Jesus had just started to proclaim the kingdom of God. But none of his teachings had preceded this event. None of the dramatic miracles that he was about to, to do were a part of this event. They knew none of that. As a matter of fact, let me be more radical. I actually think they were absolutely clueless. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't understand the nature of his mission. They were just called by him, and they were overwhelmed by the call, and they dropped everything, and they went with him. You know why I say that? Because later on you're going to see in the Gospel of Mark very quickly, a theme is this. Jesus spoke with authority like no one before him had ever spoken. It was as though when he just said it to them, they realized, i got to go. One person has said he didn't talk about God. He talked as though he were God. And they could see the difference. So they just picked up with this very cursory information, and they followed. Again, I wonder about today. A really famous uh, philosopher and theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, once said that the most important thing that he could think of in his time, the 1800s of then, was silence. He said there's not enough of it. And then he went on to say, if the word of God actually were spoken to us today. I'm not sure anybody could hear it because we'd be too busy. You know, back to that story about Joshua Bell. Psychologists and sociologists are beginning to study this phenomena and they've come up with a few descriptors. One of them is what they call hurry sickness. We're in such a hurry that we're literally sick. We don't see, we don't hear, and we're not taking it in. One psychologist said, it's damaging our souls. Another description of this reality is called power browsing. Oh, you know that, don't you? 
especially you of the younger generation. That's what you do with life. You power browse it. That's what you do with every subject. You hit it fast and you move on to the next one and you never stay there very long. Fast processing of extreme information. And it's sickening our souls. Here's what I believe. I'm absolutely confident of this. Jesus is still calling. Now he's not here in person in the flesh. And it won't be because you're a fisherman. But he's still calling. And I think sometimes we don't hear him. But let me say this as well. I think Jesus is still calling. And I think sometimes you know you've heard his voice. You know you've been overwhelmed by his authority when he's spoken into your life. It might have been right here in worship. It might have been in the quiet of your own heart. It might have been through another. You know the feeling I'm talking about, don't you? It's a gut-wrenching feeling. It's like your heart is turned inside out. It's like you're hit full bore with something that you didn't expect. And what do you do? You power browse. Just like me, you power browse. You blow right past it. And you move on to the next thing. Because it's too overwhelming. This is the beginning of the season of Lent. And if there's anything we need to do during this season as Christ followers, it's get silent. It's to stop and to listen. And when we hear the voice of God, and I promise you, if you listen, you will. Then we need to do what the disciples did. We need to drop it and follow. So I'm asking you, for the next 40 days or so, leading up to Easter, will you stop the power browsing? Or you reject the sickness of hurry? Will you listen? And will you follow? It might mean following means leaving a whole bunch of stuff behind that's otherwise really good. It might mean following is leaving something behind that's become an idol and you know it. It might mean following is taking a new direction in your life. It might mean following is for you to go to someone who you know you need to forgive and forgive them. Or go to someone you know you have hurt and ask for their forgiveness. It could come in a thousand ways, but just be open, will you? To hear God's voice and then to follow. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you communicate with us. 
You've always communicated with humanity. That's the blessing of the deity that we worship. You're not an incommunicable God. You show yourself to us, you give us the scriptures, you give us Christian community, and you speak by the power of the Holy Spirit directly into our lives. And Lord, we know it. We want to stop pretending that we don't. We want to stop making excuses for the times we said, oh no, that wasn't God. It was just an emotion. We want to stop, Lord. And silence our hearts long enough to hear and long enough to follow. So we pray you will help us do that. In the name of Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Can you please stand as we respond to worship?